0: I'm so glad to welcome you to The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask a question, and you can also get off-air advice free from a member of Team Clark, 45 hours a week, full details on how to call in for that free off-the-air advice. On the home screen of Clark.com and coming up in a half hour, how do you buy happiness? Can you actually buy happiness? There are people who've always said money is the root of all evil, but can money actually make you happier and how? Riddle me this in 30 minutes. I talk right now about something going on that seems like, how would it ever apply to me? But car rental companies have been having a world of hurt. They've got to contend with particularly business travelers that used to rent cars that now are using Lyft or Uber to get around where they go, and they're now having to deal with the collapse and the value of used cars. As I've told you prior on the show, the collapse in the value of used cars is presenting a phenomenal opportunity, the best in many, many years, perhaps a couple of decades, for bargains for people buying used cars instead of buying new. The absolute sweet spot in the used car market that's so oversupplied are vehicles that tend to be two or three years old and to a lesser extent, one year, and a lesser extent, four years old. Imagine you're a car rental company. You buy a new car to rent to people, and then after it gets so many miles on the odometer, you sell it off in the used vehicle market, and you anticipate in your business model is based on getting back so many dollars when you go to sell that vehicle. Well, right now, car rental companies can't get that money. So they've decided they're going to keep the vehicles they have on the road longer, which we've seen that movie before where you show up and the rental cars seem like jalopies, and they're going to buy fewer vehicles for their fleet. The net result is something that I experienced just recently at Houston Hobby Airport where I showed up at the rental counter where I had my car booked, and the entire parking lot is empty save for three vehicles. And there's dozens of people waiting around for a car. And you're going to see more of that where car rental companies overbook because they have a no-show problem, And you don't pay for a car rental you don't show up for. So they have to overbook expecting so many people not to show up. But the margin for error is shrinking because they're shrinking their fleets. So here's something I want you to know if you even occasionally rent cars. Most of the car rental companies have... uh, Reservation programs, uh, frequent renter programs, whatever you want to call them. Hertz calls it number one club. Avis calls it, what do they call it? Wizard, Rapid Rewards, whatever. Budget has one. Thrifty, Alamo. They all have these programs, Enterprise. And so I've joined them all. And so I also go an additional step with most of the programs, you can essentially check yourself in in advance. So in the case when I got to the rental lot at Houston Hobby, I jumped that whole line of people that were sitting around waiting for cars to be returned because one of those cars was already pre-reserved for me and two others for other people Because they had already done what I did where I had already checked myself in and you have a barcode and you just go to the gate where the thing goes up and you drive off. And so it's one of those areas of travel that after you've traveled across the country or whatever the last thing you want to have to do is worry about the car rental not being there but it's something you need to know about and consider. I want to give you one other tip, particularly at busy times. I've used this before in Denver. During ski season, car rentals at the Denver airport are a fortune. But Denver now has light rail that goes from the airport to downtown, goes into town. If you rent a car as if you're a local in a city instead of at an airport, in many circumstances, you will cut the cost of your rental by as much as two-thirds renting away from the airport instead of at the airport. Sometime Krista can bust me on the air about something I did in Milwaukee once when cars were very expensive at the Milwaukee airport, and well... I rented off airport, and we had to slog through slush and snow to get a car at half the cost that it was at the airport, but I don't think she's ever forgiven me for taking her through that slush and snow. That's the second time in Milwaukee I have upset her walking through snow and slush. Brent is with us. Brent, I'd like to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me today, Clark. Well, how may I be of service to you? Well, I drive a uh, a high-mileage pickup truck for a
1: courier service, kind of a ride-share service for an online retailer. Um, my pickup truck has got about 172,000 miles on it, and I'm trying to figure out. It only gets about 17 miles per gallon. I'm trying to figure out if it's worth it to get an electric car or a hybrid at this point. Um, I've got cash in the bank to pay off the truck and continue driving it. Um, Or I can trade it in and possibly finance a couple grand for uh, for a new vehicle. All right, so so
0: let's talk this thing through. How many miles a day are you driving as a courier?
1: Between two jobs, I drive about 90 miles a day.
0: You're going to push it on the limit of a lot of the electric cars at 90 miles a day.
1: Correct. I do have a three-hour gap in between two of my jobs, which is the only thing that's making me wonder if if I can actually do it.
0: You uh, could. You could, because then if you've got a place to plug in, um, you have the expense of putting in an electric vehicle charging station or going to one in... Uh, three hours time you would, with a typical charger, you would get 70 miles, 23 miles an hour of charging back on the vehicle and so you'd easily be able to handle that range with that kind of daily schedule. Now your schedule could change at some point and you wouldn't have that convenience of the three hour downtime to be able to charge. But the the deal in the marketplace is on used Nissan LEAFs. Okay. LEAFs were so um, expensive initially, but Nissan went to a system of very heavily leasing them, and as used three-year-old vehicles, they're carrying very little market value, somewhere uh, somewhere around seven dollars or $8,000, and then they cost basically nothing to run. They'll yeah, tend they're to they're... have somewhere around twenty to thirty thousand miles on them and so you're buying them for pennies on the dollar for a vehicle that could run for many 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 years to come forward
1: yeah the deals that i'm seeing on the Leafs are absolutely unbelievable and it's it makes it really difficult to even try to compare them to any other vehicle out there there's you know, there's
0: nothing in the car market today There is no deal better if it fits somebody's life than buying a used Nissan LEAF. If you're just looking at dollars and cents, there's not another deal close. Well, I appreciate it, Clark. Thank you very much for all the information today. Uh, Can I make one suggestion to you, Brent? Yes, please. That truck you have is pretty much depreciated out. I think there would be value in you keeping the truck... For times that you know you're going to need more range, uh, and it's not going to sell for a whole lot right now, likely, with nearly two hundred thousand miles on it.
1: Right. It's uh, it's about two or three thousand dollars upside down. They're offering me about six, and it's worth eight eight. Um, And I do have two kayaks in my garage that I try to use on a. Then,
0: then I would. I, I know this is going to sound weird. But economically, you might be better off with two vehicles in this case instead of one.
1: Well, thank you very much. I was also trying to uh, make that consideration of whether or not it's worth it to keep it.
0: I would keep paying on that truck. You eventually won't be upside down. You'd still have it to operate. I think that would be perfect. Meg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Meg, there's something I do that is absolutely eating up your profit at your business. Yes. (laughs) And it's not just me. There are a lot of me's out there that are eating into that money that should be putting food on your table. What am I doing wrong?
2: Well, what you're doing is using rewards cards because you like to get the, the rewards, whether they're cash or miles or whatever. And I've done some, well, I had a business, I also did some research, and 40 to 70 percent of all tra- credit card transactions are reward cards. So there's a lot of people using them. But the well-kept secret that most people don't
1: realize is
2: that um, it's the merchant who, through all the fees that they pay, are subsidizing the rewards cards.
0: A hundred percent. You know, when I when I'm so excited about redeeming for this that or the other or cash back or anything like that Mm. you as a business owner are paying for that for me because the credit card companies what what people may not be aware of is you may sign up at a business for merchant clearing at 1.35 percent let's say but if it's a reward card they're going to add on maybe another whole point to that to cover the rewards that i'm getting and you have no choice as a business owner you can't say oh i'm not taking that rewards card because it costs me more as a business
2: that's correct you you have to take when you sign up for credit card service to be uh you know to take them you have to take just about anything
0: that's out there yeah, it's called the take all cards rule Yes, no really right. i mean that's what it's called <laughs> and so it is true that a lot of businesses their second highest expense now is credit card processing charges Mm-hmm.
2: and trying to read those statements i don't know if you've ever seen a statement that a
0: merchant oh gets. yeah oh yes i have
2: oh my gosh <laughs> you you almost have to be a cpa to you figure out the statement what they've charged you and and for which card and and which transaction and if you're not a high volume business you pay a higher fee already because you don't do as much volume as a, you know, a big box store or a or a, a national chain or whomever.
0: It's true everything you said is completely true and I'm hoping for the day when uh, someone else comes up with a new form of payment system that cuts all the costs involved with the banks out of it and becomes a alternative that allows a business to say, we're going to give you this discount because if you pay this way, it's so much cheaper for us. You save money and we save money. But right now, the banks, com- the Visa MasterCard cartel totally controls the plastic payment system going on that retailers and restaurateurs suffer from mightily all over the country martin is with us on the clark howard show hi martin how are you today hey how are you doing clark great thank you you are interested in an offer where somebody's promising you five percent return on your money tell me about that if you could
3: It's an organization that, um, from what I understand, is supporting veterans and veteran businesses. And my father uh, was a veteran, and I figured if I could check two dots with one check, uh, that would be great if I could support veterans and then get a decent return interest.
0: And so they're promising you 5% on your money. I'm familiar with this, and I need for you to understand that this is not like a cd or a savings account it's not backed by federal insurance it is a uh, offering where you are investing your money and you can lose it all whatever you put in
3: that's what i understand and that's what i was a little leery of uh basically that they or they are called bonds and i thought that most bonds had some sort of security but i'm probably
0: wrong on that well no they're using they're twisting language there's a new federal statute that allows for offerings to be made without normal full disclosures or qualification of you as an investor and so this is an area where it's buyer beware or in your case investor beware unless there's money that you are in a position you can afford to lose all of it this is not for you.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, I was on the fence because they had a lot of good reviews and everything, and I know they were unsecured, but um, I could imagine that at any time if things
0: could evaporate. River, yeah, you have right. to be prepared for your money to evaporate. And if you're okay. not prepared for that, stay away. Well, that's good to know. And you have a great day. We'll be right back. I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address. Clark Deals, our deal site, ClarkDeals.com. And you can follow me at Facebook.com slash ClarkHoward. So I have a question for you. Uh, It's a question that's gone back for centuries. And it's a philosophical one, can money buy happiness? And the reality is that even though this is a show about money, happiness is inside you and it's not about how fat your wallet is or what kind of net worth you have. However, the absence of money where you can't even deal with life's basics creates hardship and it can eventually, potentially restrict your happiness I mean, it's a fact. But having tons of money doesn't make people happy. What makes people happy are their friends and their family, their health and who that person is, and do you know, I believe that one of the most important things to being happy is that you are a generous soul, not necessarily with your money, but with your time, what you contribute in your spirit to others, and I know that sounds like wishy-washy, but I think it's fundamentally true. I think giving money to things that matter to you, to causes. I think that when you give, you feel better. I think about with our Habitat for Humanity builds, how many people come up to me after a day as a volunteer and thank me for them being able to volunteer, and I'm like, no, 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 you got this wrong. I thank you for coming and volunteering, but they get so much pleasure, so much joy, so much satisfaction out of volunteering. I think that that money used for vacations is incredibly valuable because I think experiences build on themselves and experiences create joy and memories, wonderful memories. Money spent typically on things, though, the, the rush, excitement about getting some new thing, I think that fades very quickly, and I don't think that leads to happiness. And then, so, I saw this headline on Market Watch, so I got to share it with you. Want to buy happiness? Spend your money on pets, plays, and people, not Prada. Obviously, written by an elite, because... Prada that's fancy shoes or clothes or something oh Joel is shrugging his shoulders I think it's a clothing company Kim is gonna clear this clothes up clothes and shoes all right so we kind of got that right we are so clueless about that stuff so we would definitely never buy happiness buying Prada there was some movie called the devil wears Prada that my wife likes Don't know what it's about. Me neither. I mean, I I walk through the room when she's watching some movie and I just zone out. I just, I don't relate to movies or TV. But anyway, think, I mean, the experiences are what count. And it's not about rolling up a large account either. I mean, it's what do you do with that money? What impact do you have on those you care about? That's what really, really matters. And I think this is important. I talk about this once or twice a year, and I know you'd expect me to talk about this leading up to Christmas or something. But the thing is, because I do a show about money, there's a tendency to think that maybe I think money's a god or something. Not at all. I mean, what brings me joy in my life are the people who are part of my life and the experiences I have with those people and the adventures I have traveling. And so what money does is it unlocks opportunity for those things. But money by itself buys no happiness, promise, Andy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Speaking of doing things for others, Andy, you want to do something for a family member.
3: Yes, Clark. And um, I wondered if that monologue of yours was in any way related to the topic that we're getting ready to discuss. Because
0: Actually, not at all. I just <laughs> looked over, saw that you were calling about uh, helping out a family member, and yeah. I was like, wow, that's wild. Because well, I was just talking about how family is so much a part of joy in life.
3: You are correct. And pets, too. Okay. But... Um,
0: Dogs uh, or cats in your house? One of
3: each. One of each. But we've had many over the years. Like too many to count. And I uh, wish I could show a picture right now of the Labrador sleeping on his cushion.
0: Not, well, well, describe but, the Labrador to us. You know, radio is the picture of the mind. So.
3: Okay. He's 110 pounds of muscle. Wow. He's a yellow lab with a snuggly nose, and he's sound asleep right now, but he's not snoring, but his feet are twitching, so he must be dreaming about chasing a squirrel.
0: Well, we have a Labradoodle, which is part (laughs) lab, part poodle, and she's as girly as could be, weighs 45 pounds, and uh, is the sweetest dog ever, and it's so funny, if somebody comes to the door, she puffs herself up and bears her teeth and will will scare the burliest man you've ever seen at the door.
3: No, that's not our Max. He uh, he wants to stick his nose out the door to get somebody to pat him. Oh, <laughs> he'd, he'd show the burglar where all the fine china was if we had any.
0: Good for Max.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you own stock in a company, they send you a yearly report, and they used to be real pretty like a magazine, but now they've gotten like just uh, typing paper. And I remember seeing an example in the centerfold of one of them that said, if you owned $10,000 worth of our company stock in 1970, it'd be worth a million and a half now, you know, 2010. So <clears throat> our son is 16 and he's a real straight arrow. He's—he—he. He, I'm proud to know this guy and he teaches me stuff every day. So I thought... If I could put $10,000 in two different mutual funds and let it ride for 40 years, it might grow to, you know, with inflation and and compounding of of savings. He may have enough in that bucket to buy a Volkswagen.
0: Well, you can figure that if you put um, whatever amount of money in today, and your son is how old? 16. 16. I want
3: him to let it ride for 40 years till he's my age.
0: All right, so your son is working at 16 or not working?
3: Only on school. All right. no, no, no earned income, so it would be...
0: So, so it would not be in a Roth, but you could do index funds that have very favorable treatment under the tax code. Ding. And so if you did, uh, let's say, a, a total stock market index... Oh, right on. ...for half of it, and you did maybe... A quarter of it in an international index yeah. fund, huh. and maybe I'm going to get a little complicated here, but I'm going to suggest two others. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a quarter of it in and in, uh, in a third world, a, what do they call those now, developing, oh, yeah, developing markets index yeah. fund, and then the last part in a bond index fund, because I know he's got 40 years, but... I think there's always a place for a small amount of bonds. Maybe 25% would be too much in bonds, but, but a little bit in bonds in an index fund. And then, again, the tax treatment is so favorable, and you figure the money is going to double on average, by historical average, every 8 to 10 years. Okay. And so you'd end up with a magnificent... Money. Some for him down the road, yeah. he would pay a little bit of tax each year because it's not going to be sheltered like, uh, like a Roth would be. But the tax treatment still is incredibly favorable, okay. and at time uh, that he would spend the money doesn't have to wait till retirement. Right the time well, he'd spend and it in a half caveat. It would have uh, it would have very favorable tax treatment almost certainly because even though tax laws change over time, the history has supported that the tax treatment of Index-style investing is very favorable.
3: You know those metal boxes that people have when they have a garage sale for their cash? Yes. We have one of those that's his because we would never have a garage sale because we work in stores. And why would we have a store in our front yard on Saturday? So, <laughs> um, He charges us interest when we borrow money out of his till. It's like a percent a week, so it's
0: like user. So he's not going to blow the money. He's a loan shark. Yeah. He's a natural business person. Well, good for you. You're a wonderful dad to set up a legacy for him that money today will become huge money later, and that's a great future for him that you're making possible. Best you, Andy, and go with an ultra-low-cost company for those index funds. Omar is with us, and Omar, you want to talk about electric cars and gas tax.
4: How are you doing, Clark? Doing great, thank you. Hey, uh, yes, I have some concerns about it, and I'll tell you why. Uh, There are gas tax increases effective July 1 for West Virginia, Indiana, Montana, Tennessee, South Carolina, California, and Maryland. And there's also a lot of talk about uh, other uh, states. Increasing the gas tax because the less ta- the less gasoline uh, is used since it's based on the gallon, well the less taxes that there is for the upkeep of roads and bridges and the infrastructure. Now we have Volvo and you know Tesla. I think you own one of them. I do. There, there are electric cars. So now unless these electric cars they run on a cushion of air, they are uh, wearing and tearing the same bridges and roads that people like me who pay gas taxes have to pay for.
0: 100% so my, correct.
4: So my question is, why is uh, electric cars, why are not electric cars paying the fair share of what it costs to upkeep the roads and bridges and
0: highways? You're completely right. In fact, I pay a $208 fee per year when I pay my uh, for my license plate or tag, whatever you call it. And when I get my new sticker each year, I have to pay that $208 for road maintenance since I don't pay gas tax. Uh, and
4: see, you know, 17 by, my, states you know, do that in, now. In my perfect world, what I see, uh, because it's going to get worse, you know, as, as many uh, as, as all these electric cars keep coming into the market, you know, my idea is why not charge a tax based on mileage driven
0: Well, you know, Oregon tried that, and people went crazy. They felt like it was government spying on them. They did an experiment where, using the GPS technologies that that are so available, where you would pay a per-mile fee, and so because of people's objections, that's why the fee on electric cars is just an annual fee that the states are adopting so that those of us that are electric vehicle owners pay our fair share of road maintenance, which apparently works out for a typical driver to be somewhere around $80 a year. I don't know why mine is 208 Dan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Clark? Great. Thank you. You have a question for me that is one that perplexes people all over the country.
5: Yeah, I sure do. Uh do. My family's got a conversation going on right now, and I know you'll be able to help us with it. Um, My siblings are involved, my folks are involved, and we're having a conversation where uh, my folks are getting a little older and they're realizing they're kind of at a point where they need to talk and plan about making a move from their house to something easier for them to care for and have like a longer-term plan after that. So we've begun um, kind of identifying what we need to be looking for as far as independent senior living that transitions over to a plan for assisted living.
0: right, so that's a hot thing around the country, is where the facilities deal with different stages of care. You start off in an independent apartment, and then the apartment is fully made to be handicapped accessible, and then on the campus there's Uh, various levels of care as a parent may need more of that and it is it is a tough thing to pick the right place and right community exactly because what may be right when a parent first is living independently the next stages of care at that facility that campus may not be that great Or on the other hand, the independent living facilities may not be as nice as you'd like, but the later levels of care may be very well done and very therapeutic. So it's a puzzle. It is. Do you know how you put that puzzle together? Please help me. (laughs) There are uh, geriatric care managers around the country, and there are various organizations for them. I have a list of them on a story about... uh, hiring a geriatric care manager at clark.com and you can read through it and look and find somebody close to where your parents live and interview them about how they assess someone and pick uh, what facility is best for the transitions to various levels of care. That is
5: probably exactly what I'm looking for a list of good geriatric care managers we can we can get a hold of. would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, so just look for the... Uh, the article is actually called on Clark.com, How to Find a Geriatric Care Manager.
5: Okay, I will do
0: that. All right. one other nice. thing I'll tell you. Be very wary of the places that want you to buy in.
5: Well, tell me why, because I think a lot of them that we've already started kind of calling around require money up front. Some of them have waiting lists.
0: Yeah, what? but uh, see, the big game there is you buy a place or you buy a position there and then either you at the time that your parents no longer need it or they have passed away you then have to sell the unit or you have a buyback at cents on the dollar versus what you originally paid that's contractually laid out up front. I don't like those arrangements. I like it better if your parents go to a place where they rent because an initial move may not be the right place and you don't want to be married to a place that you own when it may not be the right one. And that's why the geriatric care manager coming full circle becomes so important again. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you tuning in to The Clark Howard Show And if you'd like more fun stuff to listen to by podcast, well, we have our Empowerment Zone. This is where you get to hear the stories of people that have done amazing things, either in overcoming hardship in their lives or things they've done to accomplish. Go to Clark.com slash Empowerment Zone.